I would give executive directors permission to lead with their board more, to think about being a co-leader, to be a catalyst for the change they want to see on the board. They often think, well, the board's my boss, you know, the board needs to have its own initiative, and that would be ideal. But when that's not the case, or even when it is the case, it doesn't mean you can't step up and influence and be a catalyst for things to be different. How can nonprofit and association executive directors work more effectively with their boards? This is the question I explore with my guest, Mary Hyland, today on Mission Impact. Turns out, like so many of my interviews, it in part circles back to this statement. It's all about relationships. Taking the time to build one-to-one relationships with each board member, not just seeing the group as a group, but instead connecting one-on-one with each person and learning more about them. What makes them tick? What are they interested in contributing? And what are their concerns? This investment will pay off when things get shaky, but it's easy to let slip when things are going well and you're busy. Yet, solid relationships are rarely built through big gestures, though the rom-coms would like to make us think so. They're really built on one small step at a time and consistency. Mary and I also talk about how executive directors can have more influence on their boards and more than they often think. And it comes down to the capacity, connection, and culture of the organization. Mission Impact is the podcast for nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategy consultant. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting brings you whole brain strategy consulting for nonprofits and associations. We help you move your mission forward, engage all voices, and have fun while we're doing it. We combine left brain strategy and analysis with bright brain wisdom about the human complexities for a proven whole brain, whole organization process through which every stakeholder thrives. Reach out to us for support and facilitation of strategic planning, mapping your impact, auditing your services, and getting an organizational assessment. We especially love working with staff, nonprofits, and associations with human-centered missions. Welcome, Mary. Welcome to Mission Impact. Thank you very much, Carol. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'd like to start out each episode with um, asking you, asking each guest, um, what drew you to the work that you do? What motivates you and what would you describe as your why? I, I know you came onto the podcast a little while ago, maybe it was I don't even know, maybe even a year or two ago oh. now. So I'm guessing that, you know, that why keeps evolving. I'm, I'm curious for you, what, what is it now uh, in your, as you're thinking about your career that really keeps you, keeps you motivated to stay engaged? You know, that's a really good question for now. I'm glad you asked me what's changed because, of course, you know, we get into nonprofit work because we want to make a difference. And I started in the service profession, but then now as a consultant, uh, my why is about helping nonprofit executive directors and other nonprofit leaders be effective and not burn out. And, uh, but I would say more recently, uh, as I'm getting older and older, as we all are, I've had more of the thought of leaving a legacy. You know, I've been consulting now for 20 years, and I've just learned so much that 
I think I look at my work with the idea of how can I share what I've learned over all these years? Because I don't want to disappear and not have shared as much as I possibly can about what works, what you can do so you're not reinventing the wheel, especially for new executive leaders. Um, I think that I care about making a difference in that way. It's so interesting that you say that because in some ways, um, thinking about people's legacy uh, was part of what inspired me to do this podcast because I was at a nonprofit consulting and the Alliance for Nonprofit Management um, conference. And I went to a panel where there were a number of people who were, you know, at that stage in their career where where they were thinking about kind of what's next after consulting and but thinking about that legacy. And Mm -hmm. I was in the process then of moving into consulting. And so I was talking to lots of folks who, you know, were ahead of me, already established and. And so I was doing those one-on-one conversations and I thought, well, why don't I start recording them and sharing them all, you know, so that people beyond just me get the benefit of all of that wisdom. And, you know, as, as the podcast has progressed, I've, you know, branched out much beyond folks just, you know, uh, towards the end of their career, but, but, um, being able to capture and share the insights that we all gain by working with multiple organizations versus being inside just one or just one, one movement or one one um, field of work, I think is really, really valuable. Yeah, I, that's a really good insight. The idea that you're exposed to more, you have new ways of thinking about things. Yes, I think that's Definitely something, and and you know I have a podcast too. So that started off as not. I don't think I was thinking so much legacy, but I was thinking about sharing tips and strategies and bringing information. And so it's a great tool, and it's lots of fun. And I've gotten to connect with lots of people like you. Right. I mean, it is so much fun to to hear about uh, different people's experiences and and um, all the things that we have a chance to observe as we work with different organizations. And I think one of the things that's valuable from that is also being able to help um, organizations realize that oftentimes what they're experiencing is something that's pretty common, whether it's, um, yes. you know, because of their stage of development as an organization where they are in kind of the life cycle of organizations or, you know, the typical things that come up between executive directors and boards and, and, and being able to see those commonalities and be able to share with the group, you know, what you're experiencing is totally normal. There's nothing particularly wrong with you. Um, It's (laughs) just, you know, tends to happen when you're going through X, Y, Z transition or whatever it might be. And a couple of years ago, you wrote um, Love Your Board, the Executive Director's Guide to Discovering the Sources of Nonprofit Board Troubles and What to Do About Them. And so I'm curious, from your point of view, what are some of the primary sources of trouble for executive directors when they're they're working with their boards? Well, actually, um, the book talks about the three categories that all these troubles fall in. And I had been doing research and lots of experience. And it finally dawned on me that if you could pay attention to these three things, that 
you could figure out how to make a difference with whatever the challenges are you're having with your board. And the three things are capacity, connection, and culture. And capacity is where my experience is most executives start. You know, I used to get these calls um, just, well, and I still do actually, just come teach my board what their job is. You know, they don't get their roles and responsibilities. This is something that all of us who are consulting in the sector here, and even when I was an executive, I heard this all the time. So this is very common. This is, I think, the low-hanging fruit. This is where people go first, thinking that there's something that people don't understand or they don't know. And in some cases, that can be true. I mean, capacity is well, all of these things have two dimensions. They have a process dimension and a people dimension. So maybe you don't have the right people on the board, or maybe the board's processes are just not good enough, or you don't have them at all. Uh, that can be a capacity issue. But then, you know, if that's not really making the difference for you, uh, trying to intervene at that level, the next level is the connection level. And you don't have to start with capacity, but you need to think about connection. And connection is all about the relationships. And we all know whenever you have a group coming together to do work in an organization together, whether it's a board or a work group, you have issues sometimes around the relationships. Are you an effective team coming together as a board? Or, you know, are there issues there? Maybe... Maybe it's not that you have conflict, but maybe you just don't have any connection. You're just not gelling as a group. You come together maybe every other month for a meeting, you take care of business, and then you go home. You know, that's not really a connection. So we know that effective boards are effective teams, and there's a lot of implications about that in terms of the connection dimension of your board. And of course, then there's the culture dimension. And this one is the hardest to change and shift, but it's really important to be aware of it. And I think a lot of people, when they have challenges with their board, they don't even go to the idea of, is this a cultural issue? Is this rooted in something we believe? Is it rooted in an assumption we're making as a group? Are our individual assumptions being you know, proposed in such a way that they're dominating the conversation we're having. So those are the three things. And I use the metaphor of a tree with the capacity being the leaves and all of the different people and things and processes and the connections being the branches and the trunk. And of course, the roots then being the culture of the board. So uh, there are a lot of situations and examples, but I just found that there isn't a challenge that I hear that doesn't fit into one of those categories. Yeah, and I love the uh, the um, kind of visual of the the tree. And yeah, I've definitely been called in um, to organizations to try to deal with some of those things at the kind of leafy level. The um, although you know there's some. Uh, uh, yeah organizational theorists that that say that oftentimes um, when something isn't going well within a group, um, people will blame personalities, will blame the individuals right. um, versus we're not clear about our goals. We're not clear about our roles. And so 
teach, you know, ensuring that the board understands what their role is, is certainly important, but not sufficient, as you're saying. Right. So right. what can it you can give me some, be, you know, yeah, can you I mean, give me it some... can be early on if you yes. have a brand new board member and they just never got a good orientation. That's a real flaw in the sector, I think, is we don't have good board orientations. So we run into having more problems uh, right out the gate with that. Right. So those those orientations where it's an orientation, not just to the organization, which I think people kind of over index on, uh, but it's also an orientation on what is yes. the role, what, what, what it's the, you know, what are you stepping into? How do you need to be as a, as a member of the board? Um, and, you know, that can be a really preventative measure t- so that instead of having to solve problems later, you're really making sure that people understand that. And, and it's probably not just a one time thing. Right. It's continuing no. to, yes. to remind people um, of of the role of the board. What, what are some examples of um, if. In terms of those connections, um, what are some ways that executive directors can, can really help foster and, and cultivate those relationships between, you know, them and the board and, and then between the board members? Well, I think that in, in the first case, between them and the board, of course, this is really critical. And I think that you need to be having one-on-one conversations with each board member. You need to meet with each board member, not just at the beginning when you're bringing them onto the board, um, but at least, and I think this is a minimum, uh, at least once a year, you and your board chair should be meeting with every board member, evaluating how's it going, uh, what are you getting out of this, what you need. There's so many things that you need to be asking and engaging people in to keep them engaged as a board member. So, I mean, your relationship with them is really critical in that regard. So meeting with the board chair can help that sort of evaluative experience. But the other thing then is I think you as the executive on your own should be meeting with each board member um, in person, one-on-one, maybe six months after you and the board chair have met for the same reason to check in to get to know them and I would be on the phone with you know your board members every month I mean this is a relationship and I think that executives a couple of things they don't know how much they can influence what the board is and what it becomes and that it's okay to do it and they also, um, I think, don't invest the time because they're busy. I mean, overwhelmingly busy. So if it's going okay, taking things for granted, those relationships can be a big risk. But, you know, I think people hold back. They don't, aren't as intentional about building relationships with each and every board member as they could be. And there is a lot you can do as an executive to do that. What do you know personally about each board member? What do they know about you? You know, one thing I, I mentioned to executives is if you, if this was the board that hired you, everybody on this board would know your resume, would know your background, would know about you, right? Because they interviewed you, they read it, 
about you. They checked you out. As soon as that board starts to evolve and new board members come on, do they know anything about you the same way? Maybe a little bit. I don't think executives put their their uh, resumes in the board manuals. I don't think they bother to update because they don't think about it. And those are the kinds of things that are the the meat of our relationships, getting to know each other. Anyway, I can go on and on and on about that, as you can see. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, there isn't enough attention paid even at the beginning of building that relationship. But if it's, um, but it is too easy to kind of think, especially if things are seem to be going well to kind of let yes. it go, you know, let it be back burner. Um, but continuing to be in touch, I, I think in terms of, you know, employees, oftentimes, um, folks are now talking about, well, don't just do an exit interview, which, which, which is also a really useful thing to do with board members, but do mm-hmm. a stay interview, right? So you're, you're having those conversations periodically yes. all the way through the experience so that, um, you, you know, continue to get to know the person, continue to know, understand better how they want to contribute to the organization, help them understand, you know, your perspective and your background, all of those things. I think it it, it is too easy with the kind of crush of the to-do list to let that slide. But then what ends up happening is that then, then it's, then it becomes, you know, then, then there are problems that pop up and you're having to solve yeah. a problem versus yeah. getting ahead of it. And, um, building that trust, which is ultimately right. what is needed. And and that takes a lot of work. And I think that even if there's no problems, you're not getting the best you can get. Mm. You know, you're not getting the best performance. People are doing enough maybe to get by, but they're not as invested as they would be if the relationships were really close and uh, important to them you know, you're going to spend time on what you value the most. And I think that executives, you know, they need to kind of put the board up there at, at a higher level in terms of what they value in the organization and not have it just be a, a must do or I've got to have this or um, you're going to get the benefit of it if you invest the time in it. I, I really, really believe that. And I see it. I see the difference for executives that have that. Yeah. And, and you're talking about, you know, meeting with people one-on-one, obviously that's been challenging or, or if you're, you know, serving a national organization where your board is, uh, you know, or an international organization where they're distributed by geography, you know, oftentimes it's, you can get the work done by doing it, um, you know, online via zoom whatnot but i think um i was just recently working with a group and their their first meeting in person as a board um after three years and some of them had come onto the board and not met each other in person until this this past you know this this month and um what's missing i think for a volunteer is that 
um, part of the the benefit of being part of a group like that is not only the discussions that happen kind of in the formal meeting, but all those things that you know can happen in those those informal times, going out to dinner with your board members, having you know yes. the the coffee break that that you don't get when it's all on Zoom. And I mean, I'm a great proponent of of working online, kind of because it can be very effective and efficient. And I think you need to make sure that you're integrating that social aspect as well. As much as you can. Yes. You know, you mentioned trust and trust building is really a skill. It's something that uh, years ago I took for granted until I did my doctoral research and I was interviewing board chairs and their executive directors. And I was discovering what are the behaviors that people do to build trust in that relationship and getting personal, not inappropriately, but getting personal is really important to building trust in organizations. It's not that you've just got to keep everything professional and not talk about yourself or your interests or inquire about other people. Part of being intentional about building effective relationships is about being intentional about making time to get to know each other on a personal level. And that's a really critical thing to do to build trust. If you don't get into a relationship that involves some of that personal sharing and knowledge about each other and doing things based on that knowledge, you're not going to have as strong a trust as you could. It just isn't going to happen. And it makes a huge difference when it does. Yeah, you're only getting part of that person. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the one mm-hmm. that's showing up with the virtual suit or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, that you're only getting part of them. What are some of the things that you that um, are those kind of hidden things or you talked about beliefs or uh, that that really impact the the culture of a board that that executive directors can be more intentional about? Well, the ones I see most often have to do with. um, Well, so there's the big one. One of the big ones, which I know you're doing work around, is the DEI issues. Is what are the assumptions we make about each other based on the color of our skin, our backgrounds, and those kinds of things. But beyond that, some that people may not think about as readily are assumptions about recruiting. I have, you know, people say we can't find the people we need and want. And if they're trying to be diverse, well, we just can't find people. Um, These are assumptions. And so when I've worked with people in the past, and what I teach in my course about uh, board recruitment success, how to get it, is the very first thing you need to tackle is mindset. And what you need to do, and I'm not sure everybody who takes the course, or uh, it's an online course, actually does this work because it's a little woo-woo and it really is not necessarily comfortable. But I'm just going to say it, that this is, you have to do this. And it isn't just about recruiting, it's about other things. And that is, you've got to ask yourselves, what do I believe about this? What, What comes up for me when I think about recruiting new board members? What's coming up? How am I feeling 
Am I comfortable? I mean, fundraising is a big one. I think we all know people aren't comfortable with that, but recruiting, it can be a little more subtle where people say, well, you know, we, we've tried uh, everybody. We just don't know anybody. And this is one of the assumptions that really gets in the way is that board members think they have to know people to recruit them. And that's not true. And so when you can just brainstorm and say, what are we all thinking? Put it up on an easel sheet on a board and then test it. Look at it and say, is this true? Mm. Is this, maybe it was true before, but is it true now? Is it always true? Where's the evidence it's true? Take the time to go through and look at what you're thinking and see whether you could suspend it, just suspend it for a little while and say, what if it wasn't true? What would the other side of this statement be? What would the affirmation, if you will, be that we can say every day? And I tell them, you need to do this every day. Today, I'm going to find board the board members we need or want, or there are lots of people out there that would love to serve on our board. And or we're going to find the person in this special community that's important to us because we want their perspective. Changing the way you're thinking and the way you're talking about it to yourselves, to each other, it makes a difference. I see it. It does. So I just have to take my word for it, I guess. <laughs> Some people <laughs> right. do. Yeah, yeah, one of the things you said was... Um you know, people think that they have to know the person to be able to recruit them. Can you say a little bit more about that? And, 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 and I think the other, the flip side of that is that when, when boards, um, if, if they're relying completely on their own networks, they, it can become a very kind of, you know, insular, insular group. Oh, yes. Um, yes. so I'm curious about your, absolutely the assertion, well, you, you can well, recruit people that aren't necessarily in you your network can. yet. Yet. You can. So the question to ask is, who would know? Mm. Who are the types of people or a profession maybe that's related to your mission, uh, an association, you know, maybe even churches? Who would know someone who cares about our mission? Where would we find people who care about our mission? And be willing to go into those groups, call people, identify people, whether maybe there's some people who teach classes at a university that might know people who are related to the field of service you're in. It's about being willing to do the cold calling. I even give clients scripts for this, is that if you don't know someone, you just introduce yourself and you talk about the mission because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for people who care about the mission, who might know someone who cares about the mission. And you ask them. And if they don't aren't the one, then you say, do you know someone? So it's that consistent networking, being persistent, and it works. I tested this with 10 nonprofits in the real world, not, not just people who took the online course. This was before I created the course. And every single one of those nonprofits found people that met the criteria they were looking for 
it because they got past this fear of talking to people they didn't know, reaching out to people. People want to help. This isn't about you asking for something for yourself. This is about you asking for a cause in the community. And, uh, you know, people are receptive to that. It's hard to get past it. It's not necessarily comfortable. Um, but that's the challenge. And it can work. I know it works. And I think be, being ready, you know, willing to hear no, no, not right now, but then not not letting that be, oh, well, then this can't work if I get one. Right. No. Right. Keep keep right. moving. You'll you'll find the person. Um, yeah, I think another thing that I see organizations because out of that fear um, kind of defaulting to is let's do a big blast email or notif- notice. And it's that it's the you know, if you ask everybody on your board, why did they get involved with this organization? Chances are, you know, they they were asked by somebody to step up. That's right. That's right. And when you're talking about a mission, you're talking about an emotional connection. You want people on your board who are emotionally connected with your mission, not intellectually connected. I mean, you can have both, but intellectual connection isn't going to have the stick-to-itiveness that you need. You know, another issue I hear a lot about recently um, well, because I'm asking about it, number one, but is board member engagement. Mm. You know, executives are saying I'm having trouble with board member engagement. And that's about the emotional glue, you know. And that goes are back to connected? what you were saying in terms of, you know, checking in with people one on one, not just having Absolutely. it be a group experience, getting to know what's going on with them. You know, if they seem disengaged, what you know, what would they like to step into? Maybe they got asked to be on the wrong committee. I know, you know, in an organization that I've been a member of for a long time, people, you know, they look at me and they're, well, she's pretty organized. Let's ask her to to organize this big event. Well, truth is, (laughs) I hate organizing events. I am organized, but I hate organizing events. So let me use that skill somewhere else (laughs) uh, for some other cause. So yeah, really tapping into what people want to share. And then I think the other thing that I, just for volunteering in general, is to not assume that um, folks want to do whatever they do in their day job, they want to contribute to you. That they Absolutely. May, I've I've been able to, um, you know, long before I was doing strategic planning consulting, I was on a committee in an organization uh, that was doing the organization's strategic plan because I knew that was an interest. It wasn't something I was doing at work uh, because of the point in my career, but I knew that I was interested in it, and it you know gave me a way to to d- start learning about that and develop that skill. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's really true that and it is important for you to be aware of the skill sets you need and want on the board. But, you know, for example, I have people say, well, we need a, a CPA or we need an accountant because we need someone who can help oversee the finance part. Well, number one, you don't need your accountant or your bookkeeper to be on your board. You may have staff with those skills. But the other thing is that people don't have to have that profession to be able to understand how to read a basic balance sheet or a financial statement. Maybe they can be a small business person or a moderate business person. Or, you know, there's a lot of people with those skills. Or just someone who's not afraid of numbers. That's right. Right. <laughs> because you don't have to have the, 
the person who's doing the work for your organization, you don't want them to be on your board. Right, right. You just want someone who is knowledgeable uh, in that area to be on your board. So you have a lot of options for what kind and of And actually profession. that can be really helpful because if you have that person who's who isn't in that profession, they might be able to actually do a better job of translating that important information to the rest of the board than someone That's who's, right. you know, just has all that knowledge That's and right. has that curse of, you know, curse of expertise. Yeah. And they can go do a much deeper dive than the board as a whole needs. Right. Uh, right. In an area. Yeah. So on each episode, I ask uh, the guests, um, what permission slip would you give to nonprofit leaders or what would you invite them to consider to avoid being a martyr to the cause and as they work towards cultivating a healthier organizational culture? So what permission slip or invitation would you would you give? Well, lately, I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I think that I would give, and and I started this thinking when I was doing my book a couple of years ago, is that I think I would give executive directors permissions to lead, permission to lead with their board mm. more, to think about being a co-leader, to be a catalyst for the change they want to see on the board. I mean, I've built a consulting profession, uh, coming in and, and fulfilling that role to some extent. You know, the third-party person can come in and be the catalyst for change and nudge the board. But I think executive directors can be that. And I think that they often think, well, the board's my boss. You know, the board needs to have its own initiative. And that would be ideal. But when that's not the case, or even when it is the case, it doesn't mean you can't step up and influence and be a catalyst for things to be different. So I would encourage executives to take permission to be more proactive with boards in what they need them to become and to help make that happen. And there are ways to do that without getting in trouble. So Right, and really be, be in partnership. So where can f- people find you and be in touch? Oh, well, they can certainly find me uh, at my website is highlandconsulting.org. That's H-I-L-A-N-D, consulting.org. But you could email me at mary at highlandconsulting.org. I am on LinkedIn. Um, People can connect with me that way. And, of course, you can also listen to my podcast. We have episodes with Carol, uh, Inspired nonprofit leadership and but there's just uh that's the best way really would be if you want to talk to me directly is to email me mary at highlandconsulting.org or check out or you can go to uh talkwithmary.com if that's easier to remember and that takes you to my calendar and you can set up a time to chat Awesome. Thank you. Well, we'll we'll put all those links in the show notes so you can find them. And uh, Mary, thanks so much for coming on Mission Impact. Oh, you are welcome. It was great to have this conversation with you, Carol. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Mary, her bio, 
the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Cindy Rivera-Grazer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector brings you whole brain strategic planning, mapping, and audits for nonprofits and associations. We combine left brain strategy and, and analysis with right brain wisdom about the human complexities for a proven whole brain whole organization process through which every stakeholder thrives. Reach out to us for support and facilitation of strategic planning, mapping your impact, auditing your services, and getting an organizational assessment. Please take a minute to rate and review Mission Impact on on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It definitely helps other people find the podcast and we appreciate it. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact. 